Well, hello, and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Happy you're back with us, and uh, we're back with you. We focus on uh, various parts of jazz history, some uh, small uh, sections of jazz history, whether it be a soloist or a song or a composer, or in this case, a particular soloist and a couple of recording dates. We're going to be focusing on um, two days in July of 1937 in Paris, and uh, this was a, a series of recordings that were done under the name of Dickie Wells, the fine trombone player. Uh, Dickie Wells was a uh, trombone player who was born in uh, Centerville, Tennessee in 1907 or 1909, depending on uh, what source you look at. He uh, came from at least some kind of a musical family. His older brother, Henry Wells, was also a trombone player, uh, not as notable in the jazz fraternity, but he had uh, played for quite a while with uh, the Jimmy Lunsford Band. Uh, he had met Jimmy Lunsford when he was a student at Fisk University and uh, did quite a bit of playing and singing with Lunsford in the 30s into the 40s. He also uh, played and recorded with Andy Kirk and some other bands as well. But his younger brother Dickie was a little bit more uh, footloose and fancy free, I guess. He uh, had toured around the Southwest in, in various combinations and territory bands and so forth and ended up in New York in about 1927-28 thereabouts and he found a job playing with the Lloyd Scott Band. Lloyd Scott and Cecil Scott were brothers, and uh, they had a, a pretty well-known Harlem band at the time, in 1928 or so, that employed a lot of different uh, African-American musicians, mostly younger musicians who were just coming up. They did record a few times, and Dickie Wells' first recording is with that group. Uh, but they didn't make the big time, and uh, eventually Lloyd Scott retired, and Cecil Scott went on to a long career playing reeds in New York, uh, doing a lot of uh, different big bands, and also playing in... Uh, Dixieland, New Orleans type combos in the 40s. Uh, he was most uh, notable for having, I think, 11 children and talking about how uh, he was a working musician raising all those children in some of his interviews, which is quite interesting. So Dickie Wells was in New York at that point, and he jobbed around with some bands. He was a fine player. He was a good reader. He soloed well. He had a particularly vocalized sound on trombone and uh, got a lot of work in the early 30s. He played with Benny Carter's band for a while, recording with him. He joined the Fletcher Henderson Band about 1932, spent parts of 1932 and 1933 playing with that group where he replaced J.C. Higginbottom. Um, he also was following in the footsteps of his uh, idol, Jimmy Harrison, the great uh, black trombone player of the 1920s who died quite young, died in 1931 um, of ulcers and I think tuberculosis, and apparently they never met. But Dickie Wells carried on the tradition of jazz trombone playing, separated from the almost comical effects that many New Orleans players got, the slide trombone effects, the tailgate trombone, and also some of the circusy effects that trombone players were wont to play in the 1920s. And Dickie Wells was one of a number of both African-American and white jazz trombone players who really changed the style of the instrument, changed the way the instrument was played. Dickie Wells, Jimmy Harrison, Benny Morton, J.C. Higginbottom, Sandy Williams, Jack Teagarden, Tommy Dorsey, uh, even Miff Mole, who was a little more of the 20s generation, but one of the most most technically uh, adept players uh, of that period. So after leaving Fletcher Henderson, uh, he, uh, Dickie Wells, eventually joined the Teddy Hill Band. Teddy Hill was a tenor saxophone player who had played in the Louis Russell Band in the late 1920s, early 30s. He founded his own band and then later went on to uh, develop uh, as, a, as a businessman. He had a restaurant called uh, Minton's uh, in um, Harlem, which was, of course, one of the uh, incubators of bebop, and he was the proprietor there. 
During the 1930s, though, uh, Teddy Hill's big band uh, was resonant in, in a couple of different places. In Harlem, it was probably one of the B-bands in the African-American community at the time, although it had some excellent players in it, including Dizzy Gillespie. That was his first big break uh, with a big band. It had um, Shad Collins, the great trumpet player. It had Russell Prokop on alto saxophone, Howard Johnson on alto saxophone, lots and lots of very fine musicians. And they did make a series of recordings for Bluebird and also, I think, Vocalion at the time. Where our story comes in with these recordings was with the Teddy Hill Band, which was on uh, a tour to Europe. It uh, went to Europe in the spring and summer of 1937, and Dickie Wells at the time was the primary soloist uh, of the group, and Hugh Panassier, the French jazz critic and uh, promoter, uh, was impressed with Dickie Wells playing and set up two recording sessions, one on July 7th and one on July 12th of 1937 uh, in Paris. And he... uh, assembled an interesting group. It sort of shifted around during these two dates, but it featured part of the brass section of the Teddy Hill Band. It had Bill Dillard and Shad Collins, about whom more later, uh, on trumpet. They were two of the three trumpet players in the Teddy Hill Band. The third trumpet player was Dizzy Gillespie, but Panazier did not care for Dizzy Gillespie's playing, and apparently neither did Bill Dillard or Shad Collins. Gillespie, in his autobiography, said it wasn't a comfortable time playing in that band because the older musicians hogged the solos and wouldn't give him a chance and so forth. That's something that younger musicians frequently complain about. So he was excluded from this session. Replacing him, however, was a uh, an American expatriate, an African-American trumpet player named Bill Coleman, who was a superb jazz player. And we'll talk more about his life when we... Uh, get through the first few tunes. He had landed in Europe in the early uh, 30s, 33, 34, made quite a few recordings, and he stayed there with a few trips around the world until uh, about 1939 or 40 when he returned to the United States. So we'll be hearing quite a bit from Bill Coleman. Of course, you have Dickie Wells on trombone. Uh, In the rhythm section in this first uh, three recordings we're going to hear are, of course, the great uh, legendary gypsy guitarist Django Reinhardt, who had been playing with the Quintet of the Hot Club of France in uh, Paris from about 1933 uh, until this point, 1937. It was probably the premier European jazz group. It was a a group that Americans were listening to and being influenced by. And of course, uh, today, there's something called gypsy jazz, not a great uh, term for that, or jazz manouche, I suppose, uh, which has some pejorative connotations. But it's music that grew out of the style of Django Reinhardt and the Quintet of the Hot Club of France. It's, if anything, more popular today than it was back then. On bass and drums are the bass and drummer from the Teddy Hill Band, Richard Fulbright on bass and Bill Beeson on drums. So we'll talk about some of these musicians as we go along, but we're going to listen to three tunes right now. The first three tunes recorded on July 7th, and this is, uh, as I said, kind of an unusually uh, balanced band with three trumpets, a trombone, guitar, bass, and drums. And we're going to hear three jazz standards, which are arranged to a certain degree. You have the three trumpets playing parts, so somebody did a little bit of writing here. I don't know if maybe they were cut-down versions of the Teddy Hill band arrangements of these tunes or not. I have no idea, but uh, they do hold up very well. We're going to hear the Bugle Call Rag, which in 1937 was already pretty venerable, having been written, composed, recorded in 1922 by the New Orleans Rhythm Kings, uh, who generally get uh, composer credit, some of whom do anyway. Then we're going to go to a standard tune uh, that was a couple of years old at that time, Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea by Harold Arlen and Ted Kohler. 
and we'll end up with the George Gershwin standard, I Got Rhythm. So these are our three tunes, Bugle Call Rag, Between the Tubble and the Deep Blue Sea, and I Got Rhythm by Dickie Wells and his orchestra.
Well, there you have it. That's uh, some fine, hot playing by a very unusual ensemble. Led by Dickie Wells and put out under his own name, he actually gets very little solo space in there, but we're going to rectify that coming up very soon. We started out with the bugle call Rag, and that featured the three trumpets uh, doing some written parts. Bill Dillard played lead on that. He didn't solo uh, here. We'll hear him in solo a little bit later. We heard uh, a series of breaks, as usually happens with the bugle call Rag. I believe it was Bill Coleman who took the first three, and Chad Collins who took the second three. Coleman had a lighter sound. He was a very elegant player, but uh, had quite a wide range and a, a great sense of, of shape to his solos. Collins was a hotter player um, and tended to, to, to bite a little bit harder on his notes, I suppose. When he uh, went to the Count Basie band, Chad Collins, which he did after he left this group, uh, he was a, a good kind of a, a foil for Harry Edison, Sweets Edison. The, uh, sometimes it's a little hard to tell the two apart in different recordings. So we had that, then we had Dickie Wells playing a whole chorus on the old Miss strain of uh, the Bugle Call Rag, and then Django Reinhardt gets a solo as well. Following that, we went to Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea, which is really a feature for Bill Coleman more than any other. Uh, Dickie Wells got a little bit of melody statement here and there, but not too much. But Coleman got a marvelous uh, full chorus solo broken up by uh, an eight-bar bridge done by Shad Collins, uh, although Coleman does the solo on the bridge on the way out. And then finally, we just did the jazz standard I Got Rhythm, and that uh, had some fine ensemble parts as well with Bill Dillard playing lead. We had Bill Coleman playing the first and second choruses, getting two full choruses on that. He was a uh, sort of guest star. He was very well thought of among European jazz musicians, uh, both black and white, and he did very well over there. He played with Willie Luce's Entertainers and a number of other very fine uh, European jazz groups. He ended up, towards the end of the 30s, going on an extended tour he and the pianist Herman Chittison uh, went uh, together to play in Egypt and then to India and then I think back to Egypt and then finally they came back to France uh, and both of them saw the handwriting on the wall with the rise of Hitler and the uh, specter of World War II on the horizon and they both came back to the United States in about 1940-41 and continued their careers there. Although notably Bill Coleman returned to France after the war. He found the racial climate much more um, pleasing. Uh, he didn't encounter the discrimination and the racism that he did in the United States. And he lived the rest of his life there, making frequent recordings with visiting American stars and also with groups of his own. So after uh, I Got Rhythm, uh, we're going to go now to the second date. I'm going to go out of order here a little bit rather than doing this in disco order. Uh, I want to hear a little bit of Dickie Wells. So we're going to hear the three tunes that he recorded at the end of the July 12th session. Um, this was uh, done with a smaller group. The first one is called the Hot Club Blues and features Bill Dillard on trumpet. We'll hear him playing. And saxophonist Howard Johnson. Howard E. Johnson, whose nickname was Swan, uh, not to be confused with the uh, baritone sax player and also the tuba player who played with the uh, uh, World Saxophone Quartet in the 70s and 80s, Howard Johnson. This Howard Johnson was born in Boston in 1908. He lived to 1991, nice long life. He had uh, he was playing, of course, with the Teddy Hill Band at this point. He was a good lead alto player. He'd ended up in New York in the late 20s and played with a series of bands that were not terribly, are, are not terribly well known now, I should say. The Fess Williams Band, also one of the bands that James P. Johnson led at the time. Uh, he played briefly with Benny Carter before going with Hill and staying with him for quite a while. He uh, was with Claude Hopkins in the early 40s, and he actually played lead alto for Dizzy Gillespie's first big band, the Bebop Band. 
band. Uh, Gillespie liked his playing. He remembered him from, I guess, fondly from the Teddy Hill days, and uh, he respected his musicianship. Howard Johnson, in a reminiscence, said that uh, he'd never been in a band with so many musicians who were such poor readers uh, as with the Dizzy Gillespie band. But he can be seen on some of the uh, videos, uh, soundies or what have you, that were made in the 1946-47 uh, period of that Dizzy Gillespie band. He ended his life playing with the Harlem Blues and Jazz Men, a very interesting group of Harlem veterans who were reunited in the 1970s and played festivals and concerts and so forth and always sounded wonderful. Not included on this session of July 12th was Django Reinhardt. I don't know if he wasn't invited or just didn't show up, which wouldn't be out of character with Django. We do, however, get to hear the guitar of uh, his associate, Roger Chaput, who played with the original version of the Quintet of the Hot Club of France. I believe he had moved on or was about to move on into some other groups at this point. He was a French guitarist who um, was well-known uh, in Paris at the time. His dates were 1909 to 1995. Um, not known as a soloist, but we'll hear him a little bit here. We also have the pianist of the Teddy Hill Band, Sam Allen, who had played for silent movies and uh, did quite a bit of work uh, after he left Teddy Hill with the Slim and Slam group, Slim Gayard and Slam Stewart, which was a popular sort of jazz novelty uh, rhythm and blues group of the 1940s. He also played with Stuff Smith. We'll hear Bill Beeson again on drums. So that's our group, and with, of course, Dickie Wells being featured. We'll hear, as I said, the Hot Club Blues with that group, and then minus uh, the other two horns, Bill Dillard and Howard Johnson, just Dickie Wells in the rhythm section play two numbers, Lady Be Good and Dickie Wells Blues. And these are really important additions to the trombone jazz uh, repertoire to the history of the trombone and jazz. Uh, there really were no other recordings before this time that were so uh, devoted to extended uh, improvisations, extended as you can be on a three-minute record, I guess, uh, just by a solo trombone. But we really get to hear what set Dickie Wells apart from his contemporaries. He um, was considered an innovator during this period. A little later on in life, he his playing got a little unusual. We'll talk about that later. But here he was a really good straight-ahead swing player who was drawing on a lot of different traditions. And clearly, this is the Dickie Wells that Hugh Panazier uh, heard and was so impressed with listening to the Teddy Hill Band, and that's why we have these recordings. So, we're going to listen to Hot Club Blues, Lady Be Good, and the Dickie Wells Blues.
there we have some very fine blues playing by Dickie Wells. He was the whole story on that particular side, appropriately called the Dickie Wells Blues. Um, he's listed as being with the rhythm section of Sam Allen on piano, Roger Shaput on guitar, and Bill Beeson on drums. I don't know if there's any piano on there or not. If it is, he's very much in the background. Definitely guitar and some drums in there, and just a sequence of gradually building blues choruses by Dickie Wells. And before that, we heard, with the same group, although definitely with Sam Allen in this case, we heard Lady Be Good. Um, and uh, that shows uh, really the swing elements of Wells playing to very good advantage. He'd already been featured on many recordings uh, with Coleman Hawkins and Red Allen, Spike Hughes, the Benny Carter Band. He, he was very frequently recorded and um, well-known to the record-buying public who were uh, interested in jazz. But these uh, recordings in this series of July 1937 really put him on the map as a first-class uh, improviser. After he went back to the United States uh, later in 1937, he played a little while longer with Teddy Hill, but he joined the Basie Band, Count Basie's relatively new band in 1938, where he became known for his very witty solos. He and Benny Morton were the trombone team there, and uh, they both played trombone solos. Morton was more of a lead player, although he was an outstanding soloist as well. Um, where Dickie Wells really shown was in his background uh, playing to Jimmy Rushing's blues vocals and the very witty, wry commentary uh, using mutes and, and, and you know, very speech-like, conversational almost with Rushing's playing. And he was with the Basie Band until 1945 and then took a couple of years off, played around in different groups, and then rejoined them in 1947 and stayed with the band until it broke up in 1949-1950, thereabouts. After that, Dickie Wells really was a freelance musician in New York. He played with a number of other groups. He still played in big bands. In fact, he played uh, in the big bands that backed Ray Charles, James Brown, and B.B. King. Um, they Each of those uh, blues singers, rhythm and blues musicians, what have you, always used big bands in their early days. In fact, uh, Wells can be heard on the classic album James Brown Live at the Apollo in 1962. He was one of the few older musicians who was in that band at the time. And then he kept playing through the 1960s and 70s, a lot of different small group dates. He was on the Henderson Reunion All-Stars that uh, we've played at some point here before on a different podcast. Uh, a lot of different groups. He was uh, beaten up quite badly during a mugging in 1975, which took him out of action for a while. But he returned uh, to playing and continued to play till about 1985. He also wrote uh, a really wonderful autobiography, uh, The Night People, which talks about his experiences. So, we're going to, um, well, I should tell you about the other side, shouldn't I? We started out with the Hot Club of Blues. Of course, the Hot Club of France, the quintet of the Hot Club of France, was the group with Django Reinhardt, and it was named after uh, the group, the Hot Club of France, that had been started by a number of French jazz um, aficionados and enthusiasts. Hugh Panazier was part of that group for a, while, for a while early on. Charles Delaunay, it was a group that was really rife with uh, conflict among its members and uh, political action and so forth. And of course, uh, at the beginning of World War II and the occupation of Paris, it took on another meaning entirely and uh, represented a uh, very conflicted history in, uh, in, in that period of time, whether jazz could be viewed as resistance to the Nazis or collaboration is a really open question in a lot of ways, and it's begun to be explored by scholars. So an interesting uh, time period. But we're not up to that yet. We're still in 1937. And the Hot Club Blues, uh, in addition to Dickie Wells in the rhythm section, featured solos by Bill Dillard, who was not known as a trumpet soloist. He was actually a singer, and he became an 
an actor on Broadway uh, after a while. He had played with a lot of the Harlem bands. He became a trumpet teacher and a vocal coach as well. But here is one of his relatively few jazz solos. And he is followed by Howard Johnson, Howard E. Johnson we mentioned, whose nickname was The Swan. Uh, he had grown up in Boston, in uh, South Boston, as a member of the group of saxophonists who came out of that area, included Johnny Hodges, Harry Carney, and Charlie Holmes. So uh, some very fine African-American saxophone players who all played in a similar way with a very big, round sound. Think of Johnny Hodges there. And we just heard a little bit of Howard Johnson playing in that style. I don't know if he was related to Johnny Hodges or not. As I said, his nickname was Swan, and Hodges' mother's maiden name was Swan. So I don't know, maybe just a coincidence. So we're going to uh, be hearing from uh, Howard Johnson on the next series of recordings as well. This is, uh, these are three recordings that go back, uh, actually they started out the July 12th date, so we have the same rhythm section, Sam Allen, Roger Chaput, and uh, Bill Beeson, along with Dickie Wells on trombone. We have Howard Johnson on alto sax, and the other two trumpet players, not Bill Coleman, but Bill Dillard and Shad Collins on trumpets. And we're going to hear three tunes, two jazz standards, uh, I Found a New Baby, which was by Spencer Williams, followed by Dinah, uh, by Harry Axt, already a 12-year-old tune that was a jazz standard, and we're going to follow it up with the Nobody's Blues But My Own, another Dickie Wells blues composition. And on that one, you're going to hear Wells use his own invention, which was called a pepper pot mute. I don't know what a pepper pot was. I guess it was a metal um, container of some sort, and he adapted it by drilling holes in it and uh, assembling it with wire and paper inside, so it got a very interesting sound that was very characteristic to his playing, and we're going to hear that on a tune called Nobody's Blues Either But My Own or Not My Own. On some of the record labels I've seen, it's called Nobody's Blues Not My Own, and on some others, I've seen it cited as Nobody's Blues But My Own. So we'll just call it Nobody's Blues for now, a tune by Dickie Wells. So our three tunes coming up, I Found a New Baby, Dinah, and Nobody's Blues. Thank you. 
So there we have some blues for you. So those three tunes, I found a new baby, Dinah, and Nobody's Blues, but my own or not my own, what have you, all featured the same group. And we had, of course, very fine trombone solos in all three, the last one featuring that pepper pot mute I had mentioned earlier. You get that little buzzy, almost rattly sound in there. We heard solos from uh, alto saxophonist Howard Johnson in there, and you get uh, a sense of that style that he played in that w was in common with him and Johnny Hodges and Charlie Holmes, the great alto player with the um, uh, Louis Russell Band uh, of the 1930s as well. So we heard that. We also heard piano solos on each one. Sam Allen, not a particularly over-recorded musician, but a, a fine jazz journeyman musician, certainly a good, uh, good, good improviser in this style. We also heard uh, trumpet solos on each. I believe it was Bill Dillard who played the trumpet solo on I Found a New Baby, and Chad Collins on Dinah. And my best guess is that it is also Chad Collins on Nobody's Blues. You have that plunger-muted style in which he quoted Black and Tan Fantasy, the Duke Ellington tune. I think that was probably Chad Collins in there. So those are uh, three small group tunes. We're going to end up with the last three. There were 12 tunes recorded overall on this uh, particular date, uh, or these two dates in July of 1937, featuring Dickie Wells. This next one will round out uh, the session of July 7th, and it will be the last three tunes on this particular session. And instead of the three trumpets, we're down to one, and we have Bill Coleman this time, who was probably the best jazz trumpeter of, of, of the group we just heard, and really one of the most underrated jazz musicians of the 30s, I think. So he's going to be featured extensively, as is Dickie Wells, because they're the only two horn players. We're also going to hear Django Reinhardt quite a bit. Uh, he's the only chord player, and we'll be doing solos as well on guitar. Richard Fulbright on bass, Dick Fulbright, and Bill Beeson on drums. Now, Fulbright uh, was, as I said, uh, a member of the Teddy Hill Band from the mid to late 30s, and then he just really did sessions, job sessions after that. I don't think he was affiliated with any other uh, well-known bands following his time with uh, Teddy Hill. Uh, he lived until 1962, 1901 to 1962. Bill Beeson had a long life, 1908 to 1988, and after playing with Teddy Hill, he was given the very unenviable task of replacing Chick Webb in his own band. After Chick Webb died, uh, um, they needed a drummer who could kind of play like him, and Bill Beeson got the call and stayed as the drummer in that band from 1939 through its uh, first few years uh, tenure with Ella Fitzgerald as its leader. It became Ella Fitzgerald and her famous orchestra, and uh, he recorded with her extensively at that point and then went on to some other bands after that. So the three tunes we're going to hear right now are Sweet Sue, Hanging Around Boudon, and Japanese Sandman. So Sweet Sue was a, a tune from the late 1920s, 26-27. It was a pop tune that came to be a jazz standard. Uh, Boudon was a yet another blues tune by Dickie Wells. And then Japanese Sandman was a, uh, one of the salutes to uh, Orientalia in the 1920s. Uh, this one by Richard Whiting. Uh, and it was a tune that came back in the 1930s. Benny Goodman had a great recording of this. And jazz musicians tended to like this because it had an unusual set of chord changes that that uh, kept uh, boredom uh, away sometimes when it was hovering around on some of these tunes that all started to sound alike at, at one point or another. So here are our three tunes, Sweet Sue Hanging Around Budan and Japanese Sandman by the Dickie Wells Orchestra, in this case the uh, Dickie Wells Quintet. <laughs>
So there we have it, the Dickie Wells Sessions in July of 1937, done in Paris for the Swing label, one of the premier jazz labels in France during that period. And we just finished up with three very fine jam session type tunes uh, featuring Dickie Wells on trombone and Dick and uh, excuse me Bill Coleman on trumpet along with Django Reinhardt on guitar, Richard Fulbright on bass, and Bill Beeson on drums. We started out with uh, or rather, we've, <laughs> Sweet Sue was our first one, and that was a real feature for the brass in that case. Um, Bill Coleman and Dickie Wells traded choruses back and forth, and then they ended up doing four-bar trades as well, just through the whole tune uh, at a nice, reasonable tempo, not a racehorse tempo, so they could actually get some thoughts in there. We followed that up with a Dickie Wells blues called Hanging Around at Boudin, which featured Django Reinhardt on a good blues solo, along with the two brass players, and an interesting little uh, segment where we had a scat vocal, I believe by Bill Coleman, with Dickie Wells playing that pepper pot mute underneath him, sort of a uh, a warm-up for what he would do behind Jimmy Rushing with the Basie Band a few years later. And then we ended up with a solo on that Pepper Pod mute by Dickie Wells. And then we finished up the program with The Japanese Sandman, a nice bouncy uh, performance, again with solos by Dickie Wells, Bill Coleman, and Django Reinhardt. So I hope you've enjoyed this program. This has uh, been a, a neat uh, dip into the past for me. These were recordings that I listened to a long time ago. Uh, I loved Howard Johnson's playing. Uh, this is one of the few opportunities during this period to hear Howard Johnson's solos uh, at length. Indeed, really, to hear any of these musicians solo at length. In America, there were not too many recording opportunities for these musicians to play just straight-ahead jazz in a jam session uh, format the way this session or these sessions were. So, very good to have these. So we've been listening to the Jazz Focus. You have been listening to it. I've been talking most of the time. My name is John Clark. Happy to be with you. If you are so inclined, love to get your sponsorship here. If we're on Anchor.fm or any of our other uh, spots, Spotify, Apple Music, many of the other places that are carrying us, there's a place to sponsor this podcast. Hope you consider doing that. If you'd like to get in touch with us and suggest other topics for future Jazz Focuses, foci, uh, send me an email. Take a look at our Instagram and Facebook pages under my name, John Clark, or my band's name, the Wolverine Jazz Band. Get through there. So, hope you've enjoyed the program, and have lots more coming up, and we'll see you on the other side.